Awesome. Well, we're so glad that you came this morning. How many of you glad you came to church today? Man, we're thrilled that you're here. We love this time of year, this season. We're so glad that you came. And we got a lot of great things, as you just saw ahead of us, to celebrate all that Jesus came and did for us. Aren't we thankful for him? Man, he's amazing. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to jump in today, and we're going to talk about Jesus. And is there anything else better to talk about? No, I didn't think so. So we'll start in Titus chapter 2, and let's pray as we jump into it this morning. Father, we love you, and we are so thankful and appreciative, Lord, that you gave us the Holy Spirit, who now lives not only among us and around us, but he actually lives inside of us. Lord, the God of the universe, you made everything that we can see, everything we cannot see, and yet you chose to live on the inside of us. Lord, we are so grateful so appreciative of that this very day. And we look to you this morning on the inside as the teacher of the church. And you are here to guide, to instruct, to reveal, and show us what needs to be coming in our lives, but also to guide us into all truth. And so we expect that this morning. We thank you in advance for answers. We thank you in advance for everything you have in store for us. Lord, we just say before everything and anything else, we say yes to you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into it here this morning. And in Titus chapter 2, a verse that we've been working on the last probably about six weeks or so. And I just love this verse because I, I, I get excited about this knowing that grace is teaching you and I. Aren't you thankful we're not limited to just, you know, outside teachers? I mean, thank God for teachers. God gave teachers as a gift to the church. But really, grace is on the inside of us to instruct and to guide us and show us things. And again, we know grace not just to be a subject. It is a man, and his name is Jesus. So in verse 11, let's look at here. It says, God's marvelous grace has manifested or has appeared in person. His name is Jesus. And he's brought salvation... To who? To everyone. That's you, that's you and I included. Everyone. And when you've accepted this grace, you said, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe, Father, that you raised up Jesus from the dead. He took away my sin. He took away my unrighteous acts. I became a brand new person on the inside. The Bible says you've been born again the moment you called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now look at this verse 12. It says, this same grace. I have this underlined in all of the different Bibles that I got at home. This verse is highlighted, underlined, starred. This same grace teaches me. Say it with me. This same grace teaches who? Me. It's teaching me. So I'm not left on my own. I'm so thankful for that. But grace now, this same grace teaches me how to live each day as I turn my back on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it's now equipping me to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. And while I'm living this type of way, the Bible continually tells us to continue to look forward to the joyful fulfillment of our hope in the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So while we're living our days, what are we looking for? We're looking for the return of our King, Jesus. He's coming back, church. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And that's the message that we are preaching to this world. He's coming for us. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Now... Again, if you were to look back and kind of open this scripture up, which is, I've done that a few times, but if you really open this up, what is grace first instructing us in? If you were to sit down and all of a sudden you appeared at the school of grace and you were sitting down in class, the first thing that you would learn is, what? How to turn my back 
on ungodliness. Or to kind of simplify it a little bit, simply meaning this is you're going to be learning how to depend on God. Why is this so important? Because God is bringing you and I back to the way you and I were created to function, which is complete dependency upon him. You are not to be a self-reliant person. That's not how things were. Look at the stress you've been carrying. What is that all a result of? Stress is a result of you being self-reliant. You trying to provide for yourself in any area of your life. I'm trying to get happy, so I'm going to look for happiness anywhere out here to try to get some laughter out of this. Right? I'm looking for some peace, so I'll just do anything that I possibly can to look for peace instead of going to the source of all peace, the source of all joy, the source of all hope, the whole source of all satisfaction is found in him. So I need to learn to go to him for everything that I've needed. Now, the message of grace is here again to teach you and I how to come back to this beautiful place called dependence. Really, grace has been lied to, and many times you kind of hear it. If you just talk about grace, you're basically you're allowing and teaching people that they can sin. That's not what grace is for. When you teach about grace, if you guys go back there, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. He says, the same grace, what is he going to teach you? How to live each day as we deny ungodliness. Also, he's going to help us to, uh, and also indulgent lifestyles, but it's going to equip you and I to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. What's teaching us that? Religion? Rules? No, grace is teaching us that. So people kind of say, oh, that grace stuff, it just lives you loosey-goosey. Not true. People are going to live however they want to live anyway. Grace isn't a license to sin. When you understand the depth and the wonder of what God did for us through Jesus Christ, you want to lay, raise my hands up, lay my whole life down. You want to get involved in that. Why? Because you see the marvelous work of God, and you can't help and go, Oh God, whatever you want, here's my life. Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Not the harshness of religion or the rules of religion that cause people to turn. Religion turns more people off than you can imagine. I don't know if you ever, you know, talk to somebody that's out maybe in the world wise and you just started talking about Jesus. Oh, I don't want any of the religious stuff. They equate Jesus with religion. So you can see we got a great job ahead of us. And what are we showcasing? The relationship side of Jesus of what grace has done in my life. Do I deserve what I have in my life? Not a chance. It's by the grace of God. Thank God I found a wife. (sighs) He who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. So I look at her and say, hey, what's up, Favor? How you doing? <laughs> That's the goodness of God towards you and I when you get married. Not my wife. She's not your. That's mine. Get, get your own wife. All right. <laughs> so now I want to just break this down a little bit here again. But depending on God, as I kind of finish up this segment of it, But depending on God is three things, and we kind of hit on them over the weeks, but I want to just bring it across to you in a little different way so we can go into something new today. But depending on God, number one, means this, that grace will teach me to rely on God and his word regardless of what the natural looks like. This is what grace is teaching us. So listen, if you're constantly one of those individuals who is being moved by everything out here, Grace hasn't instructed you yet on how to live. Now, don't get mad or down on yourself. Just go, I need to learn something. If the world is moving you, if what's happening in all these natural realms is causing you to move or change your mood or cause you to make decisions, 
you need to stop for a second and say, hold up a minute. I need to go back because grace is here to instruct me to depend on God. I'm not looking to any natural system. I'm not looking to any government that's going to take care of me. Who is our hope? Where's our source? It's found in him because everything natural will fail you and I. So what is grace teaching me? To rely on God and his word, even though out here says, looks, thinks completely opposite. So grace is going to always instruct you to go back to the word. Here with me. Go back to the word. Oh, but they're saying this. Uh, I got to go back to the word. Yeah, but that is it. No, no. Go back. to the, This is where the choice comes in. All right. Now, how do I do this again? This is built through a developing relationship with the Lord. Really, you know what? You have to create this lifestyle or even go into my, the rest of your life from this day forward that I'm going to have a love affair with Jesus. And did you know that love affairs are done in secret? So a lot of times, it's not just this thing that you do on Sunday. It's something that you do, closed doors, nobody else watching, but it's you going nuts with Jesus. And I love you, Jesus. And you're having special time with him where you, this relationship starts to develop. And that's where this dependency comes from. You don't, you can't, listen, you cannot, um, my dependency on God can never go beyond my personal relationship with him. So kind of what Courtney was just saying during the offering, I've received everything I have dependent on the Lord for. Well, that's also a direct line to my personal relationship with him. So God is not interested in some religious thing that we just, I do my duties, I check this off. He wants to be so intimate with you and I. And the reason why this is so important is that I don't try to believe God for something that is beyond my current dependency on. Why? Because then you start operating in presumption. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. It says, by faith. Say it with me, by faith. Or we could say, by dependency upon God. Every time you see that word faith in your Bible, I want you, I would like to subject this to you, that you also say, by their dependency upon God, the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians, what did they do? They tried to do what they saw somebody else do. What is that? That's presumption. If they were listening to God, what was God telling them? Turn around. Turn around now. Turn around or you'll be swimming. Turn around now. Quickly, quickly, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. But instead, I saw somebody do this, and I'm going to get that exact same result. Egyptians tried to follow, and they were all drowned. Why? Because God didn't tell them to cross the Red Sea. God told them, turn around. And there would have been grace for them to turn around. So you can't follow because, well, I saw so-and-so do this. I'm going to try that. That doesn't work. It's based on your relationship with the Lord. Our dependency upon the Lord are all at different states. And that's great. That's wonderful. As long as you are on a road of depending on him or learning to depend on him. And he is going to lead you and guide you right where you're at. You may be stretched a little bit. Say if you're at the 10 or 11% mark, he may stretch you to 12 and all of a sudden, oh, that's a big step. Yeah, but once you take that 12 step, it's like another notch on the belt. Okay, 12% done. Clink. And now you stretch into 13, going to 14, going to 15. And before you know it, you're going further and further in your walk with him because you know him. 
So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the beginning part of it, this is the life call. This is the motivation behind Paul's life. He says, my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressive, look at that word, progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him recognizing, perceiving, and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly. This comes over time. This comes as a process, and it's a beautiful process. It's sometimes messy because all of a sudden your emotions are attached, the way you thought or the way you were brought up is attached, and you go, Lord, this is what I would have been thinking, but this doesn't line up with your word, so what do I do at that crossroads? I have to make the decision to go with what he said. If I choose to just hang on to my stinking thinking, I'll be going around that same loop over and over and over again and thinking, how come nothing's progressing in my life? It's because you still think stupid. <laughs> oh, Lord, I want to move on. He wants you to move on too, but how do I do that? Stinking thinking has got to go. Yeah. I got to be stretched. Okay, Lord, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm willing to take a new thought on. Amen. Now, God found again now a couple that he could work with. And I just think this is, I, I love this. This is so beautiful because Abraham and Sarah, we hear about them. We go, yeah, that's, that's great. They're, they're Old Testament people. It's amazing. Listen, if you really understood their life and their story, what God had to do with and use them for, Jesus is a result because of their standing and believing God's word. Did you know that? God was looking for a couple. God was looking for someone that he could work through to establish his covenant on the earth to bring Jesus, the day that we celebrate, to bring Jesus to this earth. He found a man. He found a woman, Abraham and Sarah. Now, with all that being said, I want to submit and read these words to you again in Romans chapter 4. And I want you to hear it again. Rather than being moved by everything naturally speaking, look at Abraham and Sarah. Against all odds. When it looked hopeful, the doctor gave him a 3% chance of getting pregnant at 100 years old and 90 years old. Oh, guys, I'm going to give you a little bit of hope. No, nothing worked. Nothing worked. Instead, Abraham believed or he chose to believe the promise. And not only that, he expected God to fulfill it. What did he do? He took God at his word, and as a result of taking God at his word, he became the father of many nations, and God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that it will be impossible to count. Verse 19, in spite of being nearly 100 years old when the promise of having his son was made, his faith or his dependency on God was so strong could you imagine, what does a dependency on God look like that is so strong? It doesn't matter what's out here. It doesn't matter how many people look at you and go, that, you, you believe in that? You're stupid. You're an absolute idiot for believing that. <laughs> you're going to have a kid, you're 100, and nothing's working? Oh, okay. You have fun with that, Abraham. Okay, you have fun with all that. In spite of all of that, his faith was so strong, what did he do? He probably shook all that stuff up and said, no, I'm Abraham, father of many nations. How you doing? Makes no sense, naturally speaking. 
But our, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. He never stopped believing God's promise, for he was made strong in his dependency upon God to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and, conceive, or, and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promise, Abraham glorified God. Man, I love this. Now, Abraham and Sarah, what did they do? They simply allowed their dependency upon God to have authority over their life rather than the natural impossibilities. They looked at the natural impossibilities and looking at what was impossible rather than that saying, that is the final word on my life. I'm 100 years old. Nothing works. I, maybe sperm ain't going to work. Okay, that's going to be happening to my life. He could have taken that on. But instead, he took the promise and the promiser and he allowed the authority of God's word to come over him and said, this is what you said. I allow those words now to have final authority in my life. And the result was, Sarah and Abraham had a baby. Ah, amazing. What did they do? Imagine all the people, all those different tents, hearing all of a sudden a little baby boy is born. Abraham walking out there. I mean, I would make a whole Simba thing out of this thing. Hey, y'all, look at this. Dun, da, da, da. Just holding this child up. Look what God did. 100-year-old man. A 90-year-old woman giving birth. Okay. So the result now, their God's plan for their life came to pass. Abraham and Sarah, they thought differently. They spoke differently. They acted differently. How or why? Well, this, this, this is a huge catch because some people just try to talk differently. When you get to church, people sometimes talk different. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed of the Lord, highly favored. Glory to God, everything's great, amen. We're not talking about some religious game here. Abraham literally thought different, and as a result, he literally talked different. And because he thought and talked different, he acted different. I'm so thankful. My parents, they're weird in the sense of what the natural folks would say. They came up here, planted a church in 1992 to bring a message of dependency upon God to central Alberta. Do you know how many times people thought that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard? Because it wasn't a popular message. Nobody talks about this kind of stuff. It's weird. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm so glad they don't make any sense. Because now, as, a, as, a, as an adult who's got kids of my own, I'm so grateful that they stuck with the word. It didn't make any sense. Why would you start? Why would you buy a bar to all of a sudden bring people in to have a church in? Just seems like the right thing to do. That's what we do. And look where we are today. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. So just because people think you're nuts, so be it. I think you're nuts for the way that you think. This is called the spirit of faith. This is what it is. And the Bible is full of individuals, men and women alike, that you see, even when you talk about Joshua and Caleb, there was a different spirit about them. What was the different spirit? They depended upon God. When you actually talk to people who depend on God, they talk totally different. They act totally different. And I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of these men and women. And I go, man, sometimes I, had, I, got, yeah, I did get corrected a few times just in their presence. I remember one, the, one of the ladies that really impacted my life as a teenager. I remember just going up and saying, hey, how, how, how are you this evening? She said, no, no, no. You don't ask me how I am. I tell myself how I am. Oh, yes, ma'am. And how is you today? I, it just threw me off. I go, I, I, you're right. 
And all of these opportunities were just mind shifts that I had to go, oh, yeah, it's a, different, it's a different thought. It's a different spirit about them. It's the spirit of faith. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.13. This is what the Apostle Paul says. And since we have, and if you read this, he's talking about all the trauma, all the heartache, all the tough things that they had gone through. He said, we've been knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We've been persecuted, but we're not destroyed. That's how they talk. Why? They're dependent upon God. This is huge. And again, going back to that uh, Old Testament when Israel was just about to go into the promised land, 12 spies, 10 out of the 12 talked like the world. God called it an evil report. There's giants of the land. They, They think that we're grasshoppers, and so we think we're grasshoppers too. God got mad at them. And instead, Joshua and Caleb were the only two in that entire generation that got to go through. Why? They depended upon God. And as a result, they talked different. Listen, to the point that all of Israel, the whole camp, thought about stoning and killing these two guys. Why? Because they sound different. Church, this is the sound that needs to come out of us. We sound different. There's no hope in the political realm. Either party. There's no hope in any of that trash. What are we looking for? Our hope is in Jesus. That's the only way. So what do we have to do? We have to get so ingrained in who he is and in what he says that you start talking and thinking differently. Because if you sound like them, you can't reach them. You're just part of that little sheep group. But if you're in the church, when you sit at the table with Victorious, the talk is a lot different here. What does it sound like? Dependency upon God. That's why Paul was saying this over and over. We've been knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. Man, somebody said some horrible things about me, but it's not going to put me down. What is that? That's the spirit of depending upon God. And he says, and since we have this same spirit of faith, listen, this is something you can't just talk about. It's great. You have to hear this over and over and over and over again until it clicks and you go, I see it. I've been sitting and teaching like this for years, and I'm finally just seeing it. He said, according to as it is written, I believed, and because I believe, what do I do? I speak. We also, therefore, we believe, therefore we speak. This comes from Psalm 116, the Apostle Paul. But notice this, King David, the man we enjoy. We look up to him and say, oh, yeah, guy whooped Goliath at 16 years old. But the spirit of faith worked in him even at a young age. Goliath says, I come at you with a sword and a spear. You come at me with sticks and stones. David said, oh, no, no, no. I'm not coming at you with some stones, a sling and a stick. I come at you in the name of the Lord God. He's going for a way higher perspective. Why? Because I depend on God. Look at this, even, this is, this is David saying this, even when it seems I'm surrounded by many liars. Are we surrounded by many of those today? The false prophet being the media itself. By many liars and my own fears. And though I'm hurting in my suffering and my trauma, I still stay faithful to God and speak words of dependency on him. Man, are you kidding me? This is a guy I want to hang out with. Anybody hang around Christian losers that just talk lose, lose, lose all the time? It's not attractive. I just don't know how we're going to do Don't you just want to hang out with those people? No. I want people to say, let's go for it. We are part of the so be it union. 
I heard that joke from... <laughs> Actually, I think it's Penny's brother, that one that was leading worship, her brother's. I'm part of the so be it union. And so be it just simply means amen, right? I'm part of the Lord. If you say it, we're in. Anybody else part of that union? Absolutely. Lord, if you said it, I don't care what I think about it. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. I say, let's go for it. All right. Now, so now grace is teaching us how to rely on God regardless of what we see and regardless of what the natural looks like. Number two, developing, uh, sorry, depending on God means this, is that I'm learning now to respond to God and not react to Satan. We did this last week. I want to take a few minutes on this because there's a few parts I want to add on this because it's crucial that we understand how to fight properly. The Christian life isn't focused on fighting the devil and what he can do or what he is doing. This is huge. The church, the Christian life, is about working with the Father who through Jesus now already has defeated Satan, and we're here to carry out his plan. Now, I want to just show you a couple of scriptures just to really build your faith, because I think the devil hates these verses. Number one is 1 John 3, 8. If you look near the end of it, the reason, halfway down, the reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and to destroy the works of the devil. We say amen to that. Did he do it? Is it a finished work? Yes. Okay. So my job now is not to fight the devil. I'm not even going to give him the luxury of thinking I'm fighting him. Why? He's already defeated. We still think that the devil has some power. He's a zero. He has nothing. When Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me, all means all. Satan has none. Jesus has it all. And then notice this in Colossians 2.15. I love this verse. He says, Jesus made a, like, think about this, King Jesus, the one that we kind of go, man, you're just so kind and he's so gracious. Yeah, at the same time, look what he did here. He made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. What does that mean? He embarrassed them. You're king, King Jesus, the one we just sang about this morning. Right? And how wonderful and how great he is. What did he do? He made fun of all the principalities and darkness. And what did he do? He also stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse you. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Jesus basically had a wonderful parade in the whole spiritual realm and all of hell and heaven saw it. And what did Jesus do? He took the little devil. Here you, here you stupid little thing. Come with me. I'm going to embarrass you in front of all. And listen, for a prideful being, Satan is, what would hurt more than anything is being shown how stupid and useless and zero you are. What did he do? He drug him around and said, hey, hey, demons, this is, your, this is your guy, okay? Just so you see him. Habs absolutely nothing. Probably did a little dance around here a little bit. And Jesus made fun of them openly. I like that about Jesus. So for you and I, it's okay to make fun and rejoice and celebrate what Jesus did and to make some fun of the devil at the same time. Now, 
Again, the Christian life isn't focused on fighting the devil. So what is my role as a believer again? Is to occupy and to hold on to the victory that Jesus purchased for me. I refuse to give the enemy any place. Jesus purchased it all and he said, all spiritual blessings have been now given to you. They belong to you. Everything you need in this life, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially, relationally, it has already been given. So my job now is not to try to fight to get God to do something. My job is to hold on and hold fast to what he gave me and to refuse the enemy any access to try to steal that away. People think even from a sickness health perspective that you are the sick and you're looking for God to heal you. Wrong thinking. Grace will teach you You already got it. You are the well, and the enemy is trying to put on or take away health from you. So what's my fight? I got to fight to get this thing back. No, 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 no. You hold fast to what he already provided you with. How do I do that? I get into the word of God. I found out the promises. I found out what he said about it. I found out what Jesus did on the cross, and I go, Jesus, thank you for that. I receive it. Regardless, again, of what we just read first, of how I feel, what the natural looks like, this is what you, King Jesus, said. This is what you provide in your word. I simply receive it. In this earth, I'm not the getter. I'm a receiver. That's a great place to be. Okay. And if you're going, that seems difficult. Start by getting to know him. It's all about him. Well, I just need healing. You need him. Because when you start to have this relationship with him and how much he loves you, the reason why he heals you is because he loves you. Okay. So, again, Jesus never lived reactionary to Satan. Instead, he was totally responsive to the Father. John 5, 19, real quickly again, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever the Father does... What does he say? The son also does in like manner. Jesus did not say whatever Satan does, I'm going to reverse that. Jesus isn't chasing Satan. God isn't chasing Satan. God is not going across this earth putting out fires where the Satan is doing things. Instead, you know what God's doing? He's raising up men and women like you and I who understand and getting more and more into the word, understanding what grace has already done. And he's now going to anoint and equip you, your mouth, to start speaking boldly in Walmart, to start speaking boldly in your workplace, to start declaring the word of God and what he says about it and start watching things change. It's not your job to make the word come to pass. It's his job to do it. He just needs a vessel. He needs somebody to say what he says so that he's got something to work in on. Okay, now again, of course, I don't want to be ignorant of how Satan operates. The Bible tells us don't be ignorant of his devices. So what's his tactics? If you think everything's already been provided, you already got everything that you need. Say it, I already got it. So what do you think Satan, now think of it from a perspective of the enemy. What is he going or trying to do now if he's already fighting an enemy who already has it? He's going to now try to trick or tell lies, or manipulate in any possible way, bring thoughts that it's not going to work for you this time. It's not going to work. 
you didn't do this enough, or you should have done that a little bit longer, or yeah, you know, so-and-so got it, but not for you. You grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Oh, the culture you came from? Yeah, no, no. God doesn't really spend a whole lot of time in that culture. You name it, that's what he's into. He will do everything he can to get your eyes and get your mind off of what God said and what he did. That's his only tactic. So what is he going to do? Again, he's going to throw out these little lies. For example, I mean, think about what he said to Abraham. Abraham, you're too old. There's no way. And not only that, your wife, she's sold too. She can have a baby when she was 20. Man, if she gave birth now, it's going to kill her. No way is that going to work. How dangerous. You're putting your wife at risk. I thought you loved your wife. I thought you loved her. And not only that, you're looking stupid in front of all these people who look to you for guidance. You look like an idiot saying, I'm going to have a, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a, you look like an idiot. Stop doing that. These people are looking at you, you know. They're looking at you and they're depending, where are we going to go next, Abraham? You're leading these people and they think you're nuts now. All of this chatter, 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 chatter. And if that don't work, he's going to get other people start talking about you. Little gossip over here, little gossip over there. Murmur, 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 murmur. To do everything he can to get you off of the promise, off of what God said. And all of a sudden start looking at, oh, yeah, I guess that's, oh, shoot. Yeah, what, man, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to make them, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want my family stop it. This is where the battle lies. So these thoughts, as we showed in a balloon last week, these thoughts are persistent. They will come, and every time they come, you got to slap them down. How do you slap them down? It is written, God said, I am the father of many nations. Waba, And you throw it down every single time. You may have to do it 400 times a day, but do it every time. This is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare isn't you with a flag up here going like this. You can worship. That's great. Go find, do that. But don't just call that spiritual worship. And your mind is going whacked out over here. That's not it. Spiritual warfare is taking place actually in the battle of your mind. The promise of God is here. Well, oh, and this is what is the enemy is lying. What are you going to do? That's the fight. And this is what 1 Timothy 6.12. Paul says this. The fight, I fight the good fight of faith. This is the only fight that the church is to be involved in. It's the fight of faith. What does that mean? My fight is to depend on God and what he said, regardless of what people say, regardless of what people think. This is what God says, I lay hold. You're going to be made fun of. So be it. I am so glad that we didn't, I mean, I honestly think Jesus picked the right men, that the, the first disciples. The, the apostles, man, they were strong. They'd, people made fun of them continually, yet they had such thick skin on them. Who gives a rip what they think? I don't care what that political environment says. I don't care what anybody says about it. This is what Jesus said, and we're sticking with it. I'm thankful for the church, how it grew. Listen, if you look back at church history and all the heartache that the church went to to be where we are today, listen, people died to have this in your lap. And if the church just kind of goes, oh, well, whatever. Are you kidding me? What a disservice we have done to the body of Christ since Jesus left this earth and the Spirit of God came. I don't know about you, but I believe that there's a generation that we're going to continue to rise up, speak the Word of God, declare the Word of God in the face of all opposition come on our way. This is what he said. This is what we do. Come on, is that us this morning, church? That's you. That's you. This is who we are, and we will not back down off it. Why? Because what he says is, period. Yeah, but so-and-so, you know, it's a little outdated. No, you're outdated. 
<laughs> it's not even funny how outdated you are. Anyways, moving right along. <sighs> that may have come up uh, as I was typing a reply one day and then I erased it, so I apologize for that. Now, <laughs> so again, first is grace is going to teach me how to rely on God and his word regardless of what the natural looks like. Secondly, grace now is also going to teach me how to respond to God and not react to Satan. And thirdly, grace is going to be teaching me how to trust in his wisdom. Now listen, we trust in the power of God. How many of you have heard that? I remember hearing that all this my entire life. You, the power of God, the power of God. And you go, yeah, 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 I absolutely believe. Now the other side of it also is, I also have to trust in his wisdom. Trusting in his wisdom means... A part of it, if I can go, A, I trust in his timing. This is crucial for us, and I want to get into this a little bit. And we're going to continue to look at Abraham and, I, or Abraham and Sarah. And if you look at here at verse 9, this is when, uh, you know, the Lord appeared to Abram with a couple of angels with him. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? As Abram was going to prepare something for them. He, so he said, she's here, she's in the tent. And he said... I will certainly return to you according, can you read it with me? According to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind them. And now Abraham and Sarah were old. The Bible doesn't exaggerate. When they say they're old, they old. Well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, just so you're clear how old they were. Verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure and my Lord also being old? Like Sarah, listen, she's kind of going, <laughs> really? This is not going to work. Verse 13, and the Lord said to Abram, why does Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? <laughs> and now notice the Lord's response. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. Now again, notice what the Lord said. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. <laughs> and, uh, that's it. Now, you got to look at that. <laughs> Sorry, I thought there was another one, but there's not. But you can see what's the Lord, I mean, we think about it. Okay, Lord, I, I trust in your power. I trust in what you said. Yes, Lord, I believe the promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abraham is going, yes, I'm strong in faith. I, I believe this. I believe this. Now, the next thing that Abraham, don't just go look at I believe all that. He also trusted in the wisdom of God, meaning God is smarter than you. Has anybody ever come across that thought in the 20th, you know, 20th century that we're living in today? God, you are smarter than me. What do you say about all of this? No, he's not being consulted. And that's why we got a lot of mess that we're in. We have to constantly ask him. So Abraham not only said, Lord, I, I trust the promise. I trust in you and what you said, but I also trust in your wisdom and in your timing. He held on to this promise 25 years. We let go of a promise in 25 minutes. Lord, you said this. Why isn't this happening? And we're putting a schedule on God. 
And that's why people are weak in their dependency upon God is because they put God on a list. They put him on a schedule. Lord, by December 31st, 2022, if this isn't done, if he doesn't propose, if she doesn't, and you start listing all these things off going, why didn't this happen? You are setting yourself up for failure. Why? Who are you to put God on a schedule? Who do you think you are? At his right time, he'll do what he said he'll do. This is the other side of this grace is grace is teaching you to know him. Now, don't forget the sequence of order of this. The relationship is key to all of this. This is why Abraham could hold fast for 25 years is because he knew his God. And if you have go, I've had a problem for about 25 minutes. I can't believe God. Let me just submit this to you. You don't know him. You know what he can do, but you don't know him. You don't know his character. How do you fix that? You spend time in this B-I-B-L-E you and Jesus, and you start developing an affair with him every single day where you are madly in love with this Jesus that there you can't live without having a moment with him. You look forward every single day not to go, oh, I get to go to work. I get... Lord, I can't excited. I get so excited. When am I going to get this time with you? And you start putting it into your agenda when and where you're going to have this time with him. This is what's lacking in the body of Christ. We just want God to be our genie in a bottle and we're just rubbing these lamps, throwing out these prayers. God, do something. Don't you see the mess that it's in? He's going, yeah, but the people that know me will be strong and carry out exploits. Where are you? We put all this stuff on God, blaming and looking and God, where are you? And he goes, I'm right here. Do you know me? Do you know what I've said? And instead, sadly, we've used the Bible as opportunities to how to debate better, how to talk more. This is actually to be used and carried out in my life so that it's not like I can show how good of a Christian I am. It's so that I can, every single day, I get him. I get to walk with him today. I get to hear his voice in my heart, start sharing things in his word that I've never seen before and go, God, this is amazing. Go, yeah, watch this. This is what we're designed and created for. You're not created just to fight this natural stuff. You are a supernatural being temporarily sent here for a human existence. You're not a natural being. Stop looking at this thing like, oh, this is just what it is. You are not a natural being. You live in a physical body, but you are a spirit. What do spirits do? They have communion with the father of spirits. Now, Genesis 21 Continuing on here. We okay this morning? Okay. Sorry if I get a little excited. I'm just a... I'm good. Genesis 21. So we read just Genesis chapter 18. Now look at 21. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Can we read that just part together? And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. God will never forget what he said. Courtney, ready again for offering. I will not, I will not, I will not relax my hold on you. If he said it, I believe that. Well, how do you find, how come it's so easy for you to believe? I know him. The same way I I know my wife. So when she says stuff, it's easy for me to believe her. Why? Because I know her. You may go, I I have a hard time. You know, when she's, I don't know if that's true. It's because you don't know her. When you know, it changes everything. Right? It's all about relationship with the Lord. Religion sucks, man. It blows. It just tries to get you to do outward stuff and God, please do this. Mm, thank you, God, and it didn't work. Well, we never know what God's will is. 
all religious garbage to really excuse the no relationship side. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. I put my name in there, and the Lord visited Joel as he had said, and the Lord did for Joel as he had spoken. Put your name on this. The Lord has spoken greatly to you and I. Promises in his word. And every time he says, the Lord, you always do on my behalf. Thank you. Verse 2. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Notice those next four words. At the set time to which God had spoken to him. At the what? The set time. Why did God wait so long? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't even think we need to know other than part of this thing is a little understanding when I get to know grace, understand who Jesus is a little more. God does not want to share his glory. God gave this promise. Well, why didn't he give it to him when he was 20? Well, first of all, he's living with his mom and dad. Why did he give it to his older age? Is because I believe sometimes the Lord wants to put you in positions when there is absolutely nothing natural that you can do to make it work shouldn't be work. All of a sudden you go, Lord, I've, I've consulted so-and-so. I've asked this financial advisor. I've talked to this doctor. I've talked to this teacher. I've talked to this political advisor. I don't know what to do. He goes, perfect. Got you right where I want you now. And meanwhile, we're like, oh man, I need some kind of stability in my life. Grace is the sustainer. When you know him, you go, oh, And you can just fall back in his arms because at the set time, God always shows up. (laughs) And it's not you and I to figure out, when's that time, God? When are you going to do it, God? Where are you, God? Can you do it now, God? My job is to depend on him. That's the only thing that Jesus commands you and I. John 6, 29, this is the only work the Father wants of you, that you believe or you rely or you depend on the one who he has sent. I depend on Jesus. This world's going crazy. Yeah, so what does the church do? Try to figure out and fight back? No, we depend on God. All the stores are losing their food. Well, God's going to be sending manna from heaven, I guess. Are we ready for that church? (laughs) <laughs> All right. Okay, now, promotion comes from God. Look at this, Psalm 75, 6 and 7. I got just a couple more verses and I'll finish it off. But it says this, This I know, the favor that brings promotion and power doesn't come from anyone or anywhere on earth. For no one exalts a person but God the true judge of all, he alone determines where favor rests. He anoints one for greatness and brings another down to his knees. So this is what the Lord does. Psalm 102 now, skip over there. It says, I know you are about to arise and show your tender love to Zion. Say it with me in four words. Now is the time. Say again. Now is the time. Now is is the time. Listen, he's talking about Zion. And Zion, we come to Mount Zion, which is a heavenly place, which we know to be grace. Now is the time, Lord, for your compassion and mercy to be poured out. The appointed time has come for your prophetic message to be fulfilled. So it's now. 
And we know that Jesus came and he fulfilled that prophecy. Now is the time of blessing. Now is the time of healing. Now is the time for your love and your tender love to be thrown all over across Zion. He's done that. But I want you to see there's a set time. Even Galatians 4, 4 says that at the fulfillment of the age, Jesus came, died, and rose again. What's that fulfillment of the age? What's he talking about? He's talking about at a precise moment in history, God really, if you look back at it, it's amazing how even Jesus came into this earth, naturally speaking. It's like one in quadrillion chances Jesus being here. But Jesus coming, listen, all the roads needed to be built in Rome. They had to provide a bunch of these roads. And so there was a set time, even naturally speaking, that the sun could come in now so that the preaching of the gospel for the disciples would become a lot easier to travel on. Hmm, amazing how God has all of this planned out before we even had a day of breath on this earth. It says in Isaiah that he who sees the end from the beginning, meaning here's the beginning of time, God's already here, and he's going, oh, we're in 2022 right now. Oh, I know all about this. He's already lived the whole thing out. He is smarter than us. (laughs) Anybody else can give a witness to that? He is smarter than us. But I want you to see, at the set time, now is the time, God says. And in Esther chapter 2, verse 15, I don't have this on the screen, but it says, when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, there is a timing for all of these things. She couldn't just appear, otherwise she could be dead. There was a set moment for her. There was a set time for her. And when she did, she took advantage of it and took, the, took the, what was in her hand to do. I don't know about you, but when you see other blessings come to other people, don't go, how come they get blessed? I'm doing all this, Lord. You should just go, praise the Lord, the line is moving. (laughs) It's not like you're stuck at Disneyland and it's a five-hour wait for a 30-second ride. It's the Lord is fast-passing a lot of you. And the line is just moving. I go, thank you, Lord. Things are moving. Somebody so-and-so got blessed. Oh, bless them, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The blessing is on the move. You're being set up for a set time. (laughs) Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. For everything. Say with me. For everything. There is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. God works in seasons. God doesn't work this way linear. He works like this. This is how he operates. It's circular. Under God, there's seasons, and every single one of us are in a different season in our life. Now, the thing about seasons that I'm learning is that I don't want to exit a season because it's uncomfortable or I just don't want to do it. Why? Because if I don't complete the season, I have to do it over again. If I don't pass the test when somebody criticizes or talks bad about me, if I don't pass that test, guess what? Not that all of a sudden, yay, I've passed that test. Nobody ever talks bad about me again. No, you're just basically getting set up for the next one. But if I don't pass that grade two talking and shitter gossip about me, guess what? I'm going to have to take it over again. So really, when you pass a test, you've been promoted to the next test. And the good news about it is you understand and you walk in a deeper understanding and revelation of who the Lord is. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no evil. There's places in this darkness that you don't get to experience the Lord when you're on the mountaintop. Some know, Lord, we just want the mountaintop. We just want, no, that's not how life is. 
I, I, I don't know if I'm, yeah, a, a year ago, a little over a year ago, I'm not going to share my full story with you now, but I had a spirit of suicide on my life. It was horrible. I had no idea what to do, except, Lord, I'm coming to you. I don't understand this. I don't get what this is. It hurt. And at first, my first thought was, what did I do to get here? Can I tell you the answer? Nothing. Nothing. Sometimes you go through life and it sucks because sometimes life sucks. We are living on an earth and we just think that when you become a Christian that everything is a-okay. Everything is just fine. False. The promise is that when you go through this stuff, the Lord says, I'll be right with you. And I have found a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He came, he met me in that mess. And I tell you what, man, I'm so grateful that the Lord didn't just go, oh, you found yourself in that little hole over there? Well, figure it out. He came right into that ditch with me and said, now let's start going at this together. And by the grace of God, (laughs) doesn't mean all these thoughts just stop coming, but by the grace of God, he gave me his grace to start speaking words of life back into my soul. Soul, bless the Lord. Soul, why are you so depressed? Why are you so down? Yet I will magnify the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Did I feel like it? No. But what do you do anyway? Lord, I'm going to do your word. And when you do that, you give him something to work with. Now, another thing about the season, if I don't finish the season, as I said, we got to do it again. When you feel like it's been delayed, it is not a denial. That's a wonderful news about God. I know that's a phrase that we've heard lots, but we're going to have to trust his wisdom that he knows best. Lord, why haven't I seen this promise yet manifested in my life? I believe in you for this. I believe in you for that. Why have I not seen it? Those are stupid questions. And the reason they're stupid is because it's going to lead you in a wrong direction. Why haven't you? Right away, you're putting the blame on God. He's never your problem. My mama always told me, always stay on God's side. Always. Because the moment you start asking those questions, guess who loves those? It's this, there's a difference to go, Lord, I'm not understanding this. Can you help me with this? And why haven't you? Two very different questions. When you start going and getting angry and frustrated at God, it's going to you, lead you to this place of unbelief. Lord, I thought that's what you said. I thought you were good. And Satan will eat that up. Yeah, I thought he was good too, but hmm, I guess here we are. Oh yeah, like I heard the Lord promise you that. This sounds just like the garden. You don't really need him. And you start to become self-reliant and you start to look to God to get you out of that mess. You start looking to God, or sorry, you start looking to yourself. You start looking to any natural means to medicate or to get me out of some kind of mess. You can't do it. Who can? He alone is able to. Last verses I want to read to you. Another reason why you don't want things just to get out of seasons too quick is you don't want things premature. Right? I mean, look at this in Psalm 139, talking about how the Lord knit us in our mother's womb. You formed my inward parts. You covered me. Notice, why is this baby, why is this child, from the moment of conception... Now living inside of this womb, why is it hidden? Why can't we just see it out on a, on a table and watch the development? Because it's not really pretty to look at. 
But it's a, it's a baby being formed on the inside. And notice, you covered me. You protected me in my mother's womb. He says this, I will praise you for I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and oh, that my soul knows very well. Then he says this, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made, look, where, where are you? Made in secret. Some of you are still being, just being made in secret. How oh, come I'm not getting that promotion? How come I'm not doing this? How come I'm not? You're still being made. It's okay. You don't want anything before it's time. You don't want a 20-week-year-old baby. Well, that's, that's too early. You want the full, full time, the set time. 40 weeks is when that baby, they say that it's fully matured inside the, the mother's womb. And then the delivery time is ready to go. The mama's ready. The baby's ready. Let's have a baby. Well, for you and I, there's still some set times. And during that time that's in secret, develop the vision. See what God said. Develop that promise. This is what God said. What are you doing? You're growing that vision on the inside of you. You're building it and you're building it. You're constructing it. You're adding the word. You're adding the the thoughts. You're getting your creativity on this. And you and God are literally conceiving this beautiful image of what your family is going to look like. You're building this image of what my financial situation is going to look like. You're building this thing on the inside going, even though, hey, superstar ran out of bread. Somebody's going to get me bread. You're building this on the inside. What's happening? God, you're learning to depend on him. And this is where the Lord wants to take you and I as we go forward in this. He said, you skillfully wrought me in the lowest parts of the earth. So I don't know about you, but Lord, help me in this. I don't want things to come too premature. I don't want things just to come because I want them to come. Or, Lord, people are kind of saying we should do this. I, we just go ahead and do that. No, I want no pressure from the outside. Lord, build me up on the inside. What do I need on the inside? What vision, what picture do I need to lay hold of so that we can birth this thing at the right time so that when it comes, you're ready. Listen, when we find out we were pregnant with our kids, man, I, I, it, was, it was amazing. We got so excited and we had all that time to prepare a room. I could buy all the soccer jerseys for my son. I needed some time to go find those things because they're tiny. But let me just share with you a word the Lord gave us. Uh, Jamie shared so beautifully about our story about having babies. But I want to just read this word to you, and it was such a timely thing. (laughs) The timing of life. We wanted it. Lord, I want it. It, We weren't having any. And the doctor said, I guess you're just the unlucky ones that won't have any. So first of all, I was mad. Next, I wanted to punch him. There's a whole lot of emotions that come with it. So what happens when those news come to you? Well, I guess, I guess that's the smart guy. He's got a PhD, you know. Who gives a rip what he has? He's not my God. So I go, Father, what do we do? And just this is a conversation we've been having over couple of months, years at this time. And in August, or sorry, April 11th, 2011, we were at a meeting and there was a whole big list of this thing. But this is what the prophet of God said to us. The Lord tells me to bless your babies. And we're like, we, we don't have any physically yet. And he went, oh, well, the Lord told me specifically. And so he just kind of stopped for a minute and came back to it. He said, your day will come. And I want you to take this word for whatever may have. If it's a baby, great. If it's a job, if it's a family member, if it's a child, a son, daughter, 
grandchild, adult, whatever it is, take this word for you. Your day will come. Your day will come. And the Lord tells me to bless your babies. And nothing hereditary, nothing chasing you, nothing seeding your brain to fear you will stop you from having beautiful, healthy babies. Now he says, the timing of life and the timing of God. I speak this over you in the name of the Lord. We didn't know why or what was happening other than we just go, Lord, we just, basically that we stopped trying to get something. And we went, Lord, are you tired? This was Jesus' message. Are you tired? Are you worn out on religion? Are you exhausted trying to get all this stuff to work? He says, come to me. I'll give you a real rest. Learn of me. My ways are easy. My yoke and my burden is light to you. So he says, come and know my ways. I'm easy to please. So if you're in this kind of waiting game, learn his ways. Get to know him. And in that time, we rested. And I'll tell you how, when we found out December the something, we found out that we were having a baby. I tell you, that room was lit up. We were crying, laughing, kicking, hollering, shouting, everything. Because the promise, he showed up at the right time, at the right moment, in the right city, with the right woman. She didn't say, go get a Hagar. (laughs) But I am so thankful to the Lord for that. And we didn't have to try to make it work. We didn't have to try to, like, well, I guess, like, I don't know what we do, James. I guess we just got to figure this out. Lord, we come to you. I sense in my spirit that there are people here who still have that sting of disappointment. And often disappointment comes from misplaced expectations. So we just heard to depend not only on the power of God, his ability to do something, but to depend on his timing, to depend on the fact that he knows what you need and when you need it. But if you have been in a place where you've, you've had this expectation of God, but I want it now or I want it to happen this way, then you might feel that sting of disappointment. And when dis- disappointment festers, it grows and it's a heaviness and it's a sadness. And it's, it's hard to trust God when you're in that place of disappointment. There was a lady who came to us once and she wanted to be healed of cancer. She believed in healing and God's ability, but she wanted it to happen a very specific way. And the Lord instructed us to counsel her that he will, he will deal with that tumor, but it most likely won't be in that exact scenario that you want it to happen. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, wherever you at, I, I want us to pray for you. You can just be seated, but I want to pray for those who have disappointment in their heart for whatever. It could be a job you wanted to get and you didn't get it. It could be something with your kids. It could be the believing for a spouse or a baby, whatever it is. Can I just ask that we give that to the Lord today and then we can just move on with him. Amen? So wherever you're at, I just ask that you respond to him in some way. If you need to stand, stand. If you need to raise your hands, if you just need to give it to him, when we pray, I'm just asking, respond to him in some way. All right, Father. Lord, we we just present those who are saying, I'm holding on to disappointment. 
I've expected something and it didn't turn out. Lord, I just lift them up to you right now. I thank you so much, Spirit of God, that you're working on hearts right now. You're just putting your gentle, gentle hand on hearts right now. And you're filling that hurt and you're filling that disappointment with the healing balm of your love. I speak that over disappointed hearts right now. Maybe those who have had a marriage turn out a different way than they expected. I speak healing over your heart right now. Those who have had kids walk away, I speak healing over your heart right now. Those who have had a business venture gone wrong, it's okay. He's got you and I speak healing over your heart and your situation right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would visit those who have had open hearts right now to you. When they spend their alone time with you, that you'd visit them and you'd speak with them about this and you would settle it in their hearts forever whole hearts now in Jesus name amen I believe that I believe that for us as a church oh he's good he's so good well thank you for being here the corporate anointing we just can't gather like this at home alone so we want to thank you for being here